institution, he's gonna eat nothing but a vegetable for the rest of his life. We cried a little bit. We talked and we said, no, we're not gonna put Rick away, I'm gonna bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. We knew Rick was smart. We could tell by looking in his eyes. And when we talked to him, we, you know, he was paying attention to what we were saying. So we wanted to get a computer built so Rick could communicate with us. Everybody came to our house that night for Rick to say his first words. And everybody was betting, you know, what is the first words Rick is ever going to say? His mom's saying, it's going to be, hi, mom. And me to dad saying, no, it's going to be, hi, dad. Well, the Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup, and the very first words Rick ever said was, go Bruins. Nice. Dick is a military man, so he knows a thing or two about commitment. This time, he's just months removed from a heart attack. This gift that he gives to his son, or is it the other way around? Either way, it all started when Rick heard about a charity run for a paralyzed athlete. He asked Dad, and Dad said yes. Thing you do is sit down, have me sit down his wheelchair and 
and he'd do the same thing for me. Our message is yes, you can. You can do anything you want to do as long as you make up your mind. You can do it. If you have ever searched for the meaning of life, stop. The answer lies right here. By the way, Ricky would want us to tell you the Bruins look pretty good this year. Pretty amazing story, isn't it? Uh, I, I just think one of the most poignant parts of that story is when uh, he said, I'm just loaning him my arms and my legs to run this race. And uh, what an amazing thing uh, for all of us. But if we can have our children uh, go off to Children's Church, it's going to be a very uh, great, great week for you guys. My beautiful wife is teaching you. Her name's Ann, by the way. Before we get started, um, just had a brief conversation with Paul and Laura. Everyone say, hi, Paul and Laura. So he's just going through a pretty challenging season real quick. He's uh, an awesome sergeant, and uh, we just want to pray an anointing over the both of them. If you could come up here, uh, we want to pray over the both of you guys. If we could have a few people come up and, uh, and pray with us, put their hands on them, I would sure appreciate some folks mighty prayer warriors to come up here and uh, we want to pray a covering over them. You all get oil today. Take one down and pass it around. Those songs were kind of for you, huh? They were. Yeah. They were. Amen. Lord, we just uh, thank You for my dear brother and sister in Christ. And Lord, we do know the plans and callings that You have for us. They can never be taken away. God, I thank You for this man's willingness, Lord Jesus, to step into the line of duty and make choices and decisions, Lord Jesus, that many of us would run away from for fear. And Lord, I declare today and thank You that You have Paul's back. And Lord, just as he carries the badge, and he carries it with honor and dignity, and respect, and sacrifice, and courage. Lord, I thank You that You carry a much greater badge over His life. And that, God, no weapon formed against them will ever prosper. And Lord, I pray a mighty covering over them right now in Jesus' name, that every fiery dart that the enemy can throw at Him, God, You place a shield, a protection. You are His front guard. And Lord, I thank You that the Word declares that You're our rear, rear guard. You've got our back. And Lord, I thank You that You have His back. And that, Lord Jesus, Your mighty angels would minister to them. And God, that You sing songs of salvation over Him. And Lord, that You give Him a rest and a knowing, Lord Jesus, that no matter what, no matter any season, no matter any challenge, no matter anything that we face, Lord Jesus, You are greater. God, I thank You that He has a spirit like David that would throw the stone, and that stone was guided by the mighty angels into the very forehead of the enemy. And he arose victorious. 
Lord, I thank you. And may he have a vivid picture of today of that when the enemy surrounds him, may he know that the enemy is being surrounded by your mighty armies. And Lord, he might look in the horizon and he might say, hey, there's a cloud there. It's the size of a man's hand. And he would say, look again. And I pray the rains of refreshing and the rains of revival over Paul and Laura. Lord, the places where they wouldn't have prayed and spoken before, they now speak with boldness and they speak with clarity. Lord, when the enemy is coming against their children, that they would put their foot down. And Lord, I thank You that they arise victorious because the enemy is our footstool. Lord, I thank You for the mighty champion. And that God, we can reach out to You and say, where's my help come from? And God, You are the lifter of our heads. I pray today, Laura and Paul, walk out here today with their heads lifted. Because this salvation isn't an insurance policy for the sweet by and by. And this insurance policy is not. This salvation, such a great salvation, raises us up. This salvation frees us. It delivers us. It sets the captives free. It sets the captives free. And so God, today I thank You for a freedom that they have today to dance upon the problems and to be submitted to You, God, and know that every step You'll give them wisdom and You'll give them guidance and You'll give them clarity of thought and You'll give them purpose. That nothing's an accident, but our steps are ordered of God. I pray that You order their steps. In Jesus' name, Amen. got a lot of stuff to do before we even start preaching today. We got water to give out today. I've got uh, bay. Did I say it right? Bay or bay? Does anybody have a water uh, dictionary in here? Well, we'll say it's bay. Antioxidant water, antioxidant fused with a mineral uh, selenium. pH balance to seven and a half or higher. I guess seven and a half is a good water level, right? Wouldn't you agree? So hit someone real quick and say, say yeah, right? Uh, super purified. So here we are. This is really good. So today, without further ado, our next water receiver in line is Tyler Llewellyn. Give it up for Mr. Tyler. Man, we got to wake up today. We got to get energized. Let's get happy. So Tyler, if you're if you're a guest here this morning, we started this little thing, this little trick. You can stay. You don't have to look at me. You look at the crowd. No. Uh, but we started a little water thing, Come Thirsty, and I really felt impressed for our young people to come thirsty and be refreshed. Amen? So we're going to pray God refreshes you. Lord, I thank You for, um, gosh, my brother, my nephew, Tyler. And Lord, I just pray that You would bless him today. And Lord, I pray that as he grows, Lord, he's taller than me. He's a big jerk. And uh, Lord, we just pray, Father, that as he grows in stature physically, that his spirit would grow in stature much more. That he would be considered a giant in the kingdom of God. 
And Lord, we just pray right now that You would make Him, Lord, who He is called to be. And I thank You, Lord Jesus, for ordering His footsteps and that He listens closely to Your voice and that God, His pH level spiritually will be at 7.5 or higher. <laughs> Amen. Lord, we just thank You for that in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. 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 Give it up for Tyler. So we always say with the young people that when they're drinking, they have to drink their water. Not when they're drinking, you have to drink water. You're not drinking back there today, no. When you're drinking water back there, that you tell us how is this, is if the pH level feels at about seven and a half or higher. Okay, all right. So First Corinthians chapter nine, dude, we're a goofy church, aren't we? First Corinthians nine twenty four through twenty seven. Running the race. Turn to somewhere and say, i got a race to run. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I wanted to talk today about our lives and what God is calling us to do is to persevere and to keep going. How many would rather quit sometimes than run a race? Amen? I'm like that. I'm, I'm the biggest quitter guy there is out there. I might have a type A personality, but I'll be the first to say, man, there are so many times where I'm like, I just want to quit. And uh, I think quitting is an easy thing. It's an easy out. You might feel good for a few minutes, but boy, isn't it hard once you quit and sit back down to get back up, isn't it? But once you get going again and get the muscles going and the heart beat up and you get energized and all those things change, and spiritually for us, lethargy or kind of sitting down is a whole lot easier because someone else can do the work. But God has a plan for us. I love what perseverance means in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. Did you catch that? By even the greatest trial and suffering, he is marked by that unswerving dedication to what God has called him to. There's a couple of things I was thinking about this week with this message. And one of them is this. It was funny. You know, all my epiphanies come in the shower. They come in an Old Spice bottle, I think, for me. The, you know, it's just... No, it's Old Spice. But it, but it came there, it was funny, is that change is sudden and change is slow. Can I get an amen there? Change is sudden. And what do I mean by change is sudden? Change is sudden in that God speaks into our lives. We have freedom. You know, the beautiful thing about Christ is, you know, the world has all these plans and these different things that we do, but when God comes on scene and he performs miracles. I love all the stories of the Bible about moments uh, from the old till the new. You know, the parting of the Red Sea, one of the greatest uh, Old Testament miracles, the parting of the Red Sea. You think about the man with leprosy. He didn't just get partially healed of his leprosy. He got completely healed of his leprosy. The blind man, when he asked to see, God lays his hands on his eyes spits in the mud, does all that thing, and all of a sudden, he sees. It wasn't a gradual thing. It was an instantaneous thing in our life. So there's the change that's sudden, and then there's the changes that, that is slow. That's where we learn, 
And that's where we grow. That's where we mature. I don't expect my daughter, Emily, is Emily, she's downstairs. Emily's 10, so we'll pick on Emily. I don't expect Emily at 10 years old to act like a 29-year-old. Does anybody expect her to be that? In fact, if she was probably acting like a 29-year-old, I would actually ask Ann, what's wrong with our daughter? Change is slow. And there's a maturing process. And I think in life, we want everything we got. How many of you guys want God to work with microwaves more than ovens and crockpots? Can I get an amen? I like sudden changes. I wish everything could happen in a microwave. You know, 45 seconds. Everything's fixed with 45 seconds. You want to warm a donut up? I remember growing up, my dad said, if you want a warm donut, I think it was seven seconds. No more. No, no less. If you put it in there for nine seconds, you're going to have a lot of frosting everywhere. But seven is the perfect. <laughs> God's into numbers. No. Change is sudden. Turn real quick to Ezekiel 13. I want to show you a beautiful verse of the suddenness of Christ and how He delivers you. I want you to start believing again about a sudden God. You know, we, we, we slack back into that, well, you know, someday, you know, it'll all work out. You know, No, we want a sudden God. How many need a sudden God? Ezekiel 13, 20-23, it was a judgment against the false women prophets. So what that tells me as a New Testament believer is there are women in leadership because if there's false prophets, that means there's real prophets. Can I say amen? amen? So there was women prophets, prophets and prophetesses. We're not a Baptist church here, are we, folks? So there were women in leadership, but these were false prophets and they were, they were sorcerers. They would use magic and they would use all sorts of things to kind of get the answers in life. And this is what the Sovereign Lord said in verse 20. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against all your magic charms which you use to ensnare My people like birds. I will tear them from your arms, setting My people free like birds set free from a cage. I will tear off the magic veils and save My people from your grasp. They will no longer be your victims. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You have discouraged the righteous with your lies, but I didn't want them to be sad. And you have encouraged the wicked by promising them life, even though they continue in their sins. Because of this, you will no longer talk of seeing visions that you never saw, nor will you make predictions. For I will rescue my people from your grasp, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So first of all, let me tell you something about the occult and the activity in our life, spiritual warfare. Just like the old had its occultism and things they would put veils over people had and they would wear special things and have symbols and things that they would use to bring about change for people and maybe miracles and they would give them visions and all sorts of things that the, the devil would have for them. But how many know today people do the very same thing? Astrology and horoscopes and tarot card readings. And God is saying, I want to tear the veil from all of this. I want to tear these people from your grasp. You've made them sad and I don't want my people sad. Isn't that cool? You've made them victims. And I'm going to make them free like a bird being freed from a cage. Folks, there's a powerful understanding about the suddenness of change for God. Remember when God was speaking to the children of Israel 
And it was just the night before they were going to leave Egypt. In fact, he said, this is the night that's special. I want you to be ready. Have your bags packed. I want us to leave church today with a bags packed mentality for our life again. We get so cumbersome and so down in our burdens and everything that there's actually no expectation in our life of God bringing change to anything. Running the race requires we pack our bags and get moving. Running the race requires that we posture ourselves in a way that says, this might just be the night that God moves. The children of Israel were given a promise that this time tomorrow, you're not going to be a slave to the Egyptians anymore. You're not going to have to do what the Pharaoh tells you to do anymore. You're going to be a free people. By the way, has anybody ever been freed from the power of sin and death in your life today and God freed you in your life? Is anybody in here that way? Oh, good, two people. Gosh, come on, folks. This is the exciting time to raise your hand. Has anybody ever been freed from the things that God has done or God's going to do some great things? Pretty cool. Give yourselves a hand today. Whomever the sun sets free is freed indeed. The woman caught in adultery, by the way, did she get a gradual forgiveness or a complete pardon? Can you imagine a God who partially forgives? Think about that for your life and my life. Imagine in your life all the sins that you know about and even the sins that you don't even know about. God just comes in there and says, well, I'm going to forgive those four things, but the other three, those are too big. I can't forgive those. That's how we live our lives, isn't it? We stack people up, we look people up, we size people up, we look at their history, we look at all that, and we say, well, this one is worthy of forgiveness, this one's a little bigger, oh my, by golly, that person's going through this, I can't forgive them for that. Folks, forgiveness in Christ is complete. You were reconciled, you were justified, you were made new in Christ. There was a suddenness to forgiveness. You know, the gospel's beautiful, you know why? Because we offer this freedom to people. By the way, the gospel isn't just forgiveness of sins. Don't ever think that the gospel is just that. And if you've been raised your whole life of thinking that all it is is forgiveness of sin, you are missing the complete story of what the gospel has. That you can have freedom from addiction and bondage, physical healing. By His stripes, you were healed. If you look up that whole story in Isaiah 53 about what the blood covenant gives to you and I as believers... We have rights as believers. The suddenness of change. How many need some change in here? How about the man living in tombs? The second Jesus sees him, can you imagine him casting out half the demons? Now it's, now it's 500. I don't know how much 500 is, but he had a legion of demons in him. And Jesus said, who are you? He said, I am legion, for we are many. Can you imagine Christ working in our life and only casting out half of the demonic presences in our life? No, God makes it free. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That man leaves there. In fact, that was the one guy that Jesus said, no, no, I don't want you to be my disciple. I want you to stay here to be a witness to this village. He said, can I go with you? And he said, no, I want you to stay back. And you know what he did? He proclaimed the gospel to all those people. I can't only imagine how many people came to Christ as a result of that man's testimony of the suddenness of the change that God brings. We serve a sudden God, folks. And it's time for the church to get excited. It's time for the church to rise up. 2 Corinthians 
Chapter 5, verse 17. Let's turn back there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Let's see how sudden this stuff is. Actually, it's not 2 Corinthians 5.17, is it? No, here's the verse I wanted. I think it's 1 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. What's that? It is? Did I say it? Did I, find it? I can't find it in here. Anyway, maybe they took it out of my Bible. No. But this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become the new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Well, that's because I'm in 1 Corinthians right now. <laughs> new, by the way, means this. Unused, fresh, and novel. The word means new in regard to form and quality. This is the part where God makes us new. Now, how many of you know you came to Christ, you had that miracle happen in your life, that breakthrough, and it seems like all of a sudden things came to a screeching halt. That... God did that great thing and now you get into a place where you kind of go into what we all hate to talk about, the wilderness. Anybody feel like you're in a wilderness? You know, it's a hard place to be. This is the contending part. This is the part that was hard because here God does this ultimate thing. He frees the Israelites. He does these mighty miracles. You have all the plagues that happen. He rains down manna from heaven. He's doing all these beautiful things. But what does He do? He leads them out into the middle of a wilderness, a place where they have to come into a complete trust with God. And this right now comes to the part where change is slow. Mark Sayers writes, Consumer culture disciples us to change our external situation through purchasing to bring pleasure, meaning, and happiness to our inner world. Contending takes a different approach. Personal renewals begin in hidden places, often driven by solitary prayer and self-examination, Communion with God, fasting, and habits of secrecy, the uprooting of sinful patterns, and confessions with trusted leaders and pastors. Eventually, this interchange of heart will overflow out into our external lives, creating a potential for renewal in the social world around us. He kind of talks about this consumerism gospel that we've created now. You know, it's got to be fast, it's got to be quick. You know, we don't get the answer right away, so we think God's failed us. We're going through a hard season of our life, even maybe even years of our life, that we're going through a really hard, hard patch. Change is slow. Turn to someone and we say, change is slow. When we contend, we become champions of renewal. The word refined, by the way, and God is refining all of us, is the slow process of God drawing out from us all the dross so that all that is left is pure gold. See, God refines us like a refiner's furnace. He keeps refining us. And that dross comes out, all the yuck and the garbage and that gold. And then out, out of it comes that beautiful gold that we have. By the way, as we're purified, we develop a mindset of being used of God. And we actually get to the place where we say, God, I am expendable to you. What does that mean, expendable? Do you know when you're expendable to God, that means, God, whatever you want to do for my life, I am willing to go there. 
That's a hard prayer to pray. You know the, the prayer that Jesus prayed? Remember at the, you know, he was sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane there? And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's a prayer many of us don't want to utter. You know, I want to pray for my family. I want to pray that my kids would understand that they are expendable to God. That doesn't mean that, that they're not priceless. That doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for that life. It means whether they live or whether they die, whatever they do on this earth, that God, whatever you want to do with them, do it! If that means their career is this this week, and four years later they're in a totally different venue, then go get it. Go get it with Jesus Christ. Be expendable to God. This is the wilderness part where you realize that it has not a lot less to do with you and it goes into the big picture of understanding that every step I take with God is closer to where He needs me to be. Contending for our faith. Elizabeth Elliot writes, If His Lordship is really established over me, it makes no difference. I might even say it's no big deal whether I live or die. I am expendable. That's a pretty crazy thought, isn't it? It makes no difference whether I live or whether I die. It's no big deal. I am expendable. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, you don't have to turn there, but it says, so whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our number one goal, our goal, is to please Him. You know, that slow change thing, you start to understand, it's not about you pleasing you, it's about you pleasing God that offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God. And we say, God, wherever I'm at in this life, if it's going through the fiery furnace, it's getting there, it's going after that. Jim was talking about the men's group, how they said, we thought there was only, how many were there? Three in the fiery furnace. So it was a great thing because there was more and, and God was there among them in the fiery furnace. This refining happens as we abide by the way God wants us to run. Luke 14.33, Jesus says, you can't be my disciples without giving up everything that you own. That's what Jesus said. You know, really, you can't become a disciple with Christ without His own strength to give you the strength to give up everything you've got. And by the way, it doesn't mean that today you sell off your car and your house and all your furniture and you say, I'm going to be a follower of Christ. That's not the implication there. What He's saying is, God, everything in my life is owned by You. I've said this to you before with that slow change thing, understanding we went through that financial university, financial peace course. The first thing they did out of the gate, and it was a beautiful thing, they said, whatever is of value to you, write it down and say, God, this is yours. And the only thing when me and Ann first got married, it's the only thing that's still of any value to me was this wedding ring, this gold band. Now, it's not the same one. I lost it. This is now my grandpa's, but... Uh, it's, it's somewhere in eternity. We're going to find it again. The Lord's, the Lord's going to, over the billows of heaven, say, Steve, it's right there under the third couch pillow behind the Oreo. That's what he's going to say. <laughs> but whatever's of any value to you, lay it out there. Tell God it's yours. Folks, I want to tell you today, when your slow changes in your life and you're gone, things aren't changing too quickly for me. Do you know when you start processing those things in your life, Dare, dare I say idols in your life? Dare I say things that, that you are in even equal respect to God? 
You know, we have our church life and our party life. And it's so funny. People are so hilarious. Now, me and Ann aren't even on Facebook. I haven't been there for years. But it's so funny. People don't come to church, right? You know, but then the night before, they're partying like rock stars and they're posting it on Instagram and Facebook. It's so hilarious. Couldn't get to church, though. I think that our shelf life for church life and for God kind of gets put in the same position as our party and social life. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And we're wanting revival to come here to this nation. Isn't it time that we take some stock and say, God, I want to be expendable to you. I want to be used by you. I think in this new year when it comes to church and we say, how do I want to invest myself this year? Do you know what's really important? In order for church to work, this is an important thing, you kind of have to be around people. Now I know you can live stream a service, And you can listen on a podcast, but you know what's really important for our believer's life? Is that we get around people. Didn't get a shouting amen there. There we go. But the body of Christ, as we contend and as we grow, this becomes something very prized to us, the body of Christ. This time's not wasted time, by the way, when you go through the wilderness of wandering. Chuck Tate says this. I love it because we can stay the course in the wilderness. You can stay your course. Yes, you can. You can keep walking and keep moving through. You can keep going after it. Chuck Tate writes, follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Sometimes the only route to the promised land is through the wilderness. See, we want to get to the promised land and we want to find a way. We want to get around it. We want to find the shortcut. And sometimes the shortest way to the promised land is directly through the wilderness. You say, man, why can't I get there any quicker? Well, I love what Jesus did with the children of Israel. Because he knew that their faith was weak, he actually did take them a little different direction, didn't he? Because he knew the battles that they would have faced if they took a different route. So God in his nature and in his character takes us through the slower route, so to speak, and says, I am taking you here, I've got to lead you this way, because you're not ready for that stuff yet. God knows what battles you're ready for. And if you find yourself in the middle of a battle right now and you say, man, I don't know, am I ready for it? If you're in the middle of it, you're ready for it because you're a son and daughter of the Most High. You're ready for it! You're ready for it. You're ready to contend. You're ready to fight. You're ready to struggle through it. You're ready to stay the course. By the way, it's not closing your eyes and saying no problems are there. No, no, you've got a slew of problems and the only way that they can be answered is through the power of Jesus Christ. You've got a slew of problems and if you don't lean on God and not on your understanding and all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. That's the power of the believer today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now this is the right verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. I want to give you a challenge to how you look at things in your life now. Second Corinthians four, seventeen and eighteen. For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that will vastly outweigh them 
and they will last forever. So we don't look at all the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see, they will last forever. Folks, we don't look at our troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. What is he talking about? There is an eternal piece of the puzzle that we're not looking at. We fix our gaze on our problems. We fix our gaze on bills and jobs and all these things. And it's not to say that you don't look at those things, but you don't fix your life on them. How many have had some problems come and you had some problems go in your life before? How many know 10 years ago the problems you really had there, they're really not there anymore because circumstantially they changed. Something happened. Something blew up. Or maybe the problem 10 years ago, you thought it was going to turn into this and your life would come to an end and you wouldn't even be here today. How many have felt that before? Because we fix our gaze on a problem rather than the eternal purpose that God has for us. We fix our gaze on things. Turn to somewhere where we can say, stop looking at your problems. You know, you can't ignore your problems though, can you? Your problems aren't just going to go away. Let me say it with that too. So I have to say it very carefully in understanding that yes, there are problems. But I want you to understand that you're going to have to look through the problem. You and I are going to have to look through situations and realize that in the midst of the problem that God has a solution for everything that I face. Didn't you love the way that guy would run the race? Here they said, the doctor said, you need to put him away in an institution. It's not going to go good for you. The rest of his life, he's going to be this way. He's just going to be a vegetable. There's nothing you can do. You know, there's people in life that would say, you know, you're right, doctor. Yep, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be forever. And I don't know what people deal with or something. I have no idea what that challenge would be. No idea. I can only go by what that guy said. He said, nope. He said, we cried for a little bit, and then we got a plan of attack together. And it's interesting how just he started building on that one step at a time and through that ended up finding a beautiful thing and a beautiful journey for his son. Is it perfect? No. Would that dad like his son to be completely healed and be able to play hockey like he wanted to? Absolutely. But God has a plan and a progress for every single thing that we face. You can't ignore your problems, but don't keep looking at your problem all day either. You know, it's funny because I can get into that emotional state where I'm like, oh no, it's horrible, it's going to get bigger, it's going to get bigger. I get that way and I thank God for my wife because my wife has that cunning ability to be able to speak into me without kind of preaching me. Here I am preaching to everyone here. <laughs> but she'll preach to me in Anne's way. I don't know what I would do without her half the time. I really don't. The words, the care, the understanding, but yet saying, Steve, you know what? God always comes through, you know it. It's an important thing to understand because we can go off the deep end with our gaze, can't we? How many of you have found yourself staring too much? You look too much. And it gets to the point where it's not even a gaze anymore. You actually grab a microscope or you grab, remember those little, uh, what are those things called? Looking glass things. You can burn ants with them. Have you ever done that? No, I'm just kidding. Magnifying glass. We take the, we take the. I did a lot of crazy things when I was a kid. But we take the magnifying glass out and we actually magnify it. 
Look at that. See? See the detail of that problem? Steve, did you see? I mean, look at the... Look, look. Oh my gosh, and you keep looking at it more, and you keep looking at it more, and you keep looking at it more! Your gaze is fixed! And then we talk about it some more. And we gaze some more. And we, and we talk about it more. And we gaze some more. And the next day, we, we do it all over again. Do we see the insanity with this? Do we see that God is not honored in that? Well, yeah, but don't we need to know all the problems? I don't really care. I don't need details on my problems. Does anybody need more details on the problems you face? I think if I were to kind of look at my whole story of where I've been, I don't know would anybody continue on this race if you knew right now what you knew 20 years ago or didn't know 20 years ago. We would have all quit. So I challenge us, if we're going to use a magnifying glass, I dare you to magnify the Word of God. So you, you look at your problems in light of Scripture, and if you aren't treating these Bible verses with the same tenacity you treat your problems, then don't talk to me. Because if you're not taking the Word of God seriously and taking the same magnifying glass and the same lens and getting on your hands and getting on your knees and praying to God and saying, God, today I am going to use this Word as a weapon against the enemy, then you don't have any business talking today. This is a weapon. Charlie came in this morning. He was carrying his Bible and his mom's Bible. I love seeing people carry Bibles, don't you? I think it's a beautiful thing to see people come into the house of God with a sword in 2020, realizing that this Word is holy, it's precious, it's sacred, it's pure, it's right. I said, hey Charlie, that's awesome. you got a pretty big Bible in there. you got two pretty big weapons, bud. You can beat up a lot of demons with that thing. See, gazing is really hard, isn't it? And if we really are challenged, and if we really understand that that slow part of our life, you know, we go through those fast parts, we're like, man, God broke through, it was awesome. And we all can celebrate that. There's great times in church services. This is hard for me too, because when I'm preaching the Word, there are a lot of times where I feel the Word just fell flat, and I go home, and I cry, and I sit there, and I'm depressed, and I sit there, and I mull over the message, and I go over it again, and I say, it wasn't good! wasn't good. It's not good. Contend. Fight. God says His Word will never return void what it was set out to do. You fight. Today we fight. Today you fight. Because I know the gaze. I know the self-hatred this past year I had of myself. Understand what you're gazing at. What are you looking at? Where is your gaze? And you know what I mean by gazing? When you look at your problems, you say there's no solution. You say it's over. And you curse yourself. We curse ourselves, don't we? 
curse herself. This is the time to fix our gaze and to clean the lens. We say, Lord, forgive me for the words I've spoken against myself, but even greater, I spoke against you because I have made your power null and void in my life. I have allowed my gaze to be shifted onto my problems more than onto the solution that you have for me right now. And I say this not being cocky or being an arrogant preacher to say that every problem that we face, God has a solution for. I believe that with all of my heart. Every problem we face, that is not the time for us to say, okay, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. It is a time for us to grab hold of the purpose and realize that there is eternity in our heart and through this problem, God will be glorified. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed, the Bible declares. Commit your plans to the Lord. God, I'm committing to do this. God, you, you told me to get up out of bed. I put my socks on. I brushed my teeth. Thank God I brushed my teeth. I combed my hair. I took a shower. God, I'm ready for this day. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will Turn to someone and say, I need some perseverance right now. Commit your actions to the Lord. Malcolm Duncan writes, I don't want to be a part of a generation that looks back with nostalgia and forward with hope but does nothing now. I don't want to be a generation that looks back with nostalgia. Wasn't that cute? The great things there. and Oh, just so fun. It was so great. So we look back. We get warm and fuzzy about the yesteryear. We look forward with hope. And that's a good thing. How many need some hope? But here's the problem, and here's the problem right now for believers in America. We do nothing now. You can't get to the hope of tomorrow if you do nothing now. So whatever changes that you need to go through, whatever things you need to fix your gaze differently and say, you know what, if I am spending the same amount of time talking about the problem as I do glorifying God, then I, that is vastly outweighed. We need to lessen the gaze more. Yeah, Admit the problem. Admit the situation. Say, yep, this stinks. Everyone turns around and say, yep, this stinks. This stinks. This stinks. Yep, you got the raw end of the deal. Yep, you had the problem. Someone took advantage of you. Yep, kid at school, you got bullied. Yep, this stinks. But we can look right now at life and say, right now, God has a plan. Right now, right now. Not, not ten years from now. Not 30 years from now. Right now. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King said. He said, now is the time. I'll never forget listening to his message and his speech. One of the greatest orators and man of faith. As I'm sitting there eating my bowl of cereal, just weeping, watching this man speak with passion. Now is the time. He says to the president, JFK, and he said, JFK said, let's, let's wait. Let's do this. Let's move here. He said, no, no, no. Mr. President, now is the time. Change is sudden. Change is slow. Change is sudden. The realization that He is God and I am not. That He does beautiful miracles in my life. And then God orders my footsteps. He lights my path. 
Every step I commit to God with this decision. Everything I do contending for the faith, gleaning from God as my gaze is upon Him. How much longer is it, Lord? Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. What do I do now? Just keep going. Isn't it crazy how God does these things? He says to Abraham, go to a land I'll show you. Where am I going? I'm going to show you. See, we want the God that is the vending machine God that gives me all the answers for today. He's not going to do that. We want the vending machine God. I want the candy bar, Lord. How many would rather eat a candy bar than a salad today? I want the candy bar, Lord. I know. Process this thing out. Work it. You can rely upon me, Steve. Many people utter this, don't they, in the middle of their now situation? There's nothing I can do. That's the biggest lie from the enemy ever perpetrated on you. There's nothing I can do. Are you kidding me? There's nothing you can do. Really? Do you know what you can do like with the body of people that are in this church, how much help you have? How much backup you have? Do you know how much backup you have? Do you know how much firepower you have? You've got backup. There is everything you can do. He brought you through the past. He brought you through all that junk and you still say today there's nothing He can do. Nothing I can do. And in essence, we're saying, well, there's nothing God can do, really, isn't it? Let's not lie to ourselves. When we get to that point where we say, well, there's nothing I can do, we just kind of wave our hands in the air and say, well, there's nothing God's going to do anyways. It's not not worth it. It's not worth it anymore. I think it's worth it, don't you? I think the fight and the struggle is worth it. I think that's why Paul had mentioned such joy that we can have in contending for the faith because we realize the power of the gospel and the simple decisions that we make to go after the things of God. I read a wonderful quote that said like this. I wasn't sure if it was uh, Chuck Swindoll, but it was one of those great guys. He said, In vain I have searched the Bible, looking for examples of early believers whose lives were marked by rigidity, predictability, inhibition, dullness, and caution. Fortunately, uh, grim, frowning, joyless saints in the Scriptures are conspicuous by their absence. Instead, the examples I find are of adventurous, risk-taking, enthusiastic, and authentic believers whose joy was contagious even in times of full trial. Their vision was broad even when death drew near. Rules were few and changes were welcome. The contrast between then and now is staggering. Isn't it true? Here this writer says, I looked through the Bible to look for lifeless believers, to look for people who didn't have adventure and didn't have purpose in their life. And he says, now looking today, he said the, change, or the, the differences are staggering. It's like we have believers in the Western church that are bored. I don't, I don't know how you get bored in the Christian faith. Not with all the people, not with all the situations, not with all the opportunities. I don't know how we get bored. Malcolm Duncan writes, you reach a moment when it is more tempting to give up than continue. Isn't that true with our lives? Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. We're almost to the end, so don't don't anyone leave. I've still got another page and a half to go. Everyone's like, okay, it's done. Five more. Wait, no. No. 
Osginus writes, could the dejected and grieving disciples on the evening of Good Friday see the miracle of Easter Sunday? Could they? Really, could they? Could those disciples who spent all that time with Christ every day of their life, living, eating, breathing, sleeping, talking, touching Him, holding, grabbing Him, dialoguing with Him, arguing with Him, could they see on the evening of Good Friday that what was going to happen was going to happen? Could Antheus, driven into exile yet another time, be sure that orthodoxy would win the day in the world? Could St. Augustine view the shock of the collapse of Rome and of much of the church and foresee how his own vision of the city of God would survive the collapse of the city of man and contribute to the rise of Christendom centuries later? Again and again, the end was not the end. And G.K. Chesterton's famous comment perfectly summed up the outcome. At least five times the faith has had all appearances gone to the dogs. And in each of these five cases, it was the dog that died. Isn't that awesome? In those five occurrences where we thought the Christian faith, Christendom, had gone to the dogs, all five of those occurrences, it was the dog that died. Folks, let me tell you something. In your life, it's the dog that dies. And many of us are getting bit at right now. I don't have to have you raise your hand, but many of us have got dogs that biting at our ankles. We feel like that dog's going to win the race, win the fight. But it's the dog who's going to lose in the end. He goes on to write, Evil may run rampant. Accidents will happen. Disappointments and setbacks may dismay the best of us. And at times there may seem to be no meaning to it at all. But there is always the relief of the recurring words, But God and the tirelessly repeated assurance that is backed by a thousand reasons, have no fear. Folks, I beg of you today in all of your conversations you're having about the situations you're going to face and maybe facing right now, you say those two beautiful words, but God. And even if you don't feel it right now, even if it's not working emotionally for you, that's fine. You don't need to say, but God, when you're on the high, of, high top of the mountain. No, you need, but God, in the most horrible place of your life. You don't need, but God, on the top of the mountain where you see all the full view. You need the, but God, when you're tired, when you're wore out, when you're abused, when you're taken advantage of. And you can say, even if it's a whisper today, but God. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment with me? I want to deal with the changes sudden right now. And maybe today in this room, you realize that Christ is as close as the mention of His name and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And today He's calling you. He's speaking to your life and saying, knocking at the door, let me in. Change is sudden. Today maybe you've been carrying the burdens of life. How am I going to get through this? How am I going to maneuver through that? You don't have the power of Christ in you. And you say, you know what? I want to give my life to Christ today. Maybe you've been to church before, been to church a million times, and you don't know the Savior, and you realize today that every sin in the past, present, and future of your life, Christ has died for, and He loves you with an everlasting love. He formed you in your mother's womb and calls you by name today. That's the Jesus that we proclaim 
He knows your needs. He knows the desires of your heart. And He wants fellowship with you. He wants friendship with you. Today, if you don't know Him and you want to know Him today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, I want to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Anyone. Thank you. Anyone else? Let's all pray this prayer together very clearly. Dear Jesus, I thank You for dying on the cross for my sins. For dying on the cross for me. I give You my life right now in this moment. Forgive me of my sins. Thank You, God, for making me new today. For healing me. For healing my heart. I love You. Thank You for Your grace to me. The God of second chances. The God of a million chances. I'm going to run this race today with your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, number two, the change is slow. I want to talk to those today that your gaze has been fixed on the problem more than the eternal thing that God is doing. Looking beyond it. And it requires that you fix your gaze on what can't be seen by others, but that you know in your heart. This is the gaze we're talking about. This is for the believer in the race who's gotten tired and wore out and gotten to the point where it's easier just to quit than it is to keep going. By the way, the beautiful place of this moment is that in your weakness, Christ's strength is made perfect. In your greatest moment of weakness, and you want to give up as we've all been there, Christ says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Just like the dad who has lended the arms and the legs to his son, Christ gives us his heart for the race so we can complete it. It's not our heart. It's not our willingness. It's not our will. It's his will. It's him giving us the strength, not on our own. Today, if you're saying, I am choosing today right now to forego what I have been looking at. I've been staring at my problem. I've been staring at my problem and I've shelved the God who solves all issues. I am fixing my gaze today. You're raising your hand with strength and energy and you're saying, this gaze will be different because of the power of Christ in me. Today, if that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you. 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 Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for giving me new eyes and new ears and a new heart that you replace my heart of stone. You give me a heart of flesh. Help me to fix my gaze today, Lord. And when I find myself saying the things I used to say and the curses I used to pronounce over myself, I choose to fix my gaze on Your Word and Your promises and on the things no one else can see. Thank You for the vision You give me. 
and for the hope and for the future. But Lord, also, and most important, right now, I thank You, God, for healing me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Folks, a good day today. It's good for me. (laughs) Probably better for me than you, I'm telling you right now. I need this stuff. And I love you so much. You make sure this year, this week, this month, to run after the things of God. If you need some help in this place, want to talk to someone, want to talk to me or any any key people in here, you want to just say, hey, you want to pray with me real quick. I want to share this with you. I would love to talk with you. But have an awesome week. I just want to pray a blessing over everyone and we'll be dismissed. Lord, I thank you this morning for this beautiful church family, everyone here. I pray that you'd minister, do wonderful works this week, and breakthroughs. May we hear sudden moments of you breaking through, Jesus. I thank you that when the enemy comes in like a flood, there you are to raise a standard against it. Lord, I pray protection. I pray for wisdom. We pray for mighty, mighty things to happen this week as a result of your work in this church. We love you, God. Thank you for the privilege to serve you among these people and that we can be arm-in-arm, hand-to-hand. We can engage in hand-to-hand combat this week and run the race. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you so much. Don't forget, we got beautiful treats in the cafe. Love you so much.